0: Madame and Monsieur, Ecoute bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles MacDonald, brought to you in association with Force Magazine on World Radio Paris. Good evening and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is the prime time fashion show for World Radio Paris, brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald and I will be hosting the show exclusively for World Radio Paris. We are going to start off by having a look at the most recent run of International Fashion Weeks for the Autumn Winter 2019 installments and here I will be explaining why Paris, as always, sets the scene and what you can expect to see on the streets of the capital for the upcoming season plus the influence that the French designers and fashion houses have had on this divergent international industry. In accordance with the international fashion calendar, our first point of call takes us to New York. It was absolutely a tale of two cities and both had equal resonance and equal excitement. They are very lucky in New York to have so many established names. Great names in fashion like Ralph Lauren. Michael Kors, Oscar de la Renta, and Calorina Herrera. There are so many names that have been with them and have a very established and known look. We would also like to particularly mention The Row, because that is done with so much interesting proportion and wonderful acclaim. And in a season where so many designers were embracing these amazing colour mixes, they were very refined, very minimal, and very black and white. Then of course, Tom Ford brilliantly kicked off the week with a collection that played towards all his strengths. Fantastic tailoring, very sleek, much of it in surprising and very beautiful colours. Marc Jacobs is a designer that fits both in the established world of American fashion, but is also so fearless in his approach, which was also about sculpture and volumes and his own romantic gestures, like feathers and sequins we do now have a whole brilliant generation of younger designers they're completely fearless in their approach to even the idea of a fashion show they embrace inclusivity they embrace diversity and they embrace buzzy positivity they're putting their friends in the clothes they're using a wonderful mix of characters and models that people wouldn't necessarily associate with models on the runway It's been much more about individual expression and celebrating inclusivity. And I think that New York has really been at the forefront of all that. There's a lot of volume, there's a lot of interesting proportions, big shoulders, sloping shoulders. In a way, the mood was much more discreet. It's about the woman more than what she's necessarily wearing. A lot of layering of the pants still going forward. A lot of fantastic, wonderful capes and coats here at Marc Jacobs and I thought overall it was a fantastic season. Hopping across the pond to London Fashion Week and what I was very struck by in London is how many wonderful young designers have been here and how engaged they seem to be with topics such as sustainability or race or obviously since we're here in London with Brexit and as a result... You feel that their collections and how they're showing their collections are truly informed and interesting and very aware it's interesting to go around london and to see so many young activists demonstrating they're just saying that this is our future we believe in this and you need to take notice i think that the voices of the younger generation of designers are saying exactly that i've also been struck in london by how many talented young female designers are working in a very vibrant way here in London. We have Mary Catranzo, Simone Rocha, Molly Goddard and obviously Grace Wells Bonner. It's wonderful to see a young designer have a voice for race and inclusivity and diversity, such as Grace Wells Bonner does. I'm so happy that Victoria Beckham seems to be staying in London. She's obviously such an important voice for fashion and I loved her show. I thought it was very confident, very sure, very grown up and very sexy and cinematic with beautiful checks and beautiful tailoring. Personally, with one of the other female designers, like Sarah Burton, working with McQueen or Stella McCartney under her own label, should really consider showing more of their collections in London. I thought that Riccardo Ticci's second collection now for Burberry was a very big step forward. I thought it was more confident and you understood what direction he was now taking at Burberry. There were wonderful things that had the famous Burberry check and things that were also covered in the Union Jack. Then a much more adult, grown-up side of Burberry where he's really looking at tailoring and luxury and beautiful fabrics. There was a lot of volume on the New York runways and we're also seeing it here in London. It's volumes and sleeves, as we just saw at JW Anderson, with his volumes and tiered skirts and tiered dresses, like at Simon I don't think its influence is growing and that there are wonderful details like the big bell sleeve, which is much more achievable now for most women. I think that this is a very feminine mix and I love it, especially when you see it in beautiful colour palettes such as Roxanda, who had an extraordinary mix of colours and I love all the thrallo prints that Erdem also had. So, it's the drama and it's the degrees of drama depending on both your height and your character. Looking forward, I'm sure that this season of volume of Richard Quinn and colour in print, he's a designer that will not disappoint. Also, I hear that it's possible Christopher Kane, is going in a more salon, sophisticated and sexy direction. I think that this idea of decoration, the hair and some amazing boots everywhere, the beautiful leopard and zebra boots, and also the black boots here at JW Anderson, it's almost like sophisticated hidden touches, and these are what's catching my eye. I think that what simply doesn't work is something that's bland and boring, and is trying to pre-please everyone. In fashion, it's better to take a risk, and be fearless, fall down, and pick yourself back up, and be nothing. Following three weeks of couture influence shows in New York, London and Milan, the biggest surprise of the autumn-winter 2019 season was the message in Paris. Qualification, simplification and purification. I think a dress has to be wearable. Otherwise, it's a piece of art you can put on your wall. You have to make creative pieces for real life. If I buy something, it's because I want to use it every day. Maria Grazia Chiuri said of her Christian Dior show, which interpreted the codes of the house in contemporary and practical manifestations that felt decidedly shopping focused. If you're a brand with such a huge history, you have to maintain the codes. But the brand has to be contemporary, so I think about maintaining time. I don't think a brand like Dior has to be so close to the idea of seasonal. You don't buy a piece for one season only. It's widely acknowledged that Ture's collections, more of an accessible nature than a past creative director's, have increased sales at the house. That watchful eye of retail and revenue continue to hover over the parish shows. This house is such a long story, but my job is to modernise it and make it appealing to the customer we have today. That was the exercise. Demna Jasalia said after 109 exit Balenciaga show that appealed to every corner of his potential customer base, based as it was on the social classes of Paris. Underlining the shopping focus mentality, models on the runway. Carried Balenciaga carrier bags and quilted handbags that resembled nets familiar to grocery shoppers. It's for people who actually love fashion and go shopping. That's what I do. Josalia shrugged. I thought it was real. When I walk down the street in Paris now, which is rare, that's what I see. The Balenciaga show sometimes bordered on the reduced to a degree of irrelevance at least in the context of a runway collection. But if you came to see the couture shapes and the Parisian pizzazz that prevailed elsewhere in the fashion landscape, he provided for that also. At Maison Margiela, John Galliano had been thinking about the impact of the excess that surrounds us in the digital age. We're overwhelmed with so much imagery that you almost want to regurgitate, he said in the podcast for his Haute Couture collection back in January. But perhaps inverted excess could lead to something a little more minimal? Three weeks on, Galliano presented just that. A ready-to-wear collection that reduced the techniques and codes he's been developing at Maison Margiela over the past five years to a succinct core that made you want to buy each and every one of those coats and suits straight off the runway. In self-penned show notes, Andres Kronthaler wrote about reducing the product to its essence. In short, I've just made the necessary things, in the showroom too, he explained. His eponymous collection for Vivienne Westwood strived to repurpose the very way in which the manufacturing process works, using the many sample cloths factories make for the industry. One tends to throw things around a bit and be a bit unsure, but this time, I had to be careful not to waste anything, and not to make anything I didn't need, Kronthauer said. While he was the only designer, apart from Stella McCartney, who was great claim to the territory, who mentioned sustainability as the reason for Paris' newfound sense of reduction, it went hand in hand with the idea of building a wardrobe not so driven by disposable trends. It was reflected in the Somaphore collection of Hedis Le at Céline, while for the last six months the designer let the congregated fashion industry believe he was going to turn Céline into a continuation of the codes and silhouettes that he had built at Saint Laurent. Turns out though he was biding his time for the plot twist in Chapter 2. The observance not of Weeb Filo's opus at the house, but the original Céline archive that inspired philo in the very first place. With its faint air of the 1970s, its masculine outwear, bourgeoisie heritage coat suits, French country dresses and bohemian ponchos alongside teddy bear coats, it had a distinct echo of the elegantly pragmatic wardrobe so-called foreign fashion at the moment. The wardrobe Philo created at Celine was often referred to as compromising intelligent clothes. Since her departure, designers have seemed keen to take the reins of her sophisticated, handsome form of glamour, something that was queer in critically applauded shows from Paco Rabanne and Chloe to Loewe. It also appeared at Lanvin, where Bruno Salielli, a former Loewe and Rabanne designer, had his debut presenting a collection that fell into the arty and eclectic corner of fashion, exemplified by the Loewe he came from. In its patchwork of nomadic and folkloric elegance, a richness of fabrication, surface decoration and peculiar cuts and layering, it looked a little bit like Loewe, a little bit rooted in art, in pseudo-intellectualism and, of course, the traveller. The look was part well-to-do gatherist, but part electric librarian. Paris wasn't without its glamorous moments. Pier Paolo Piculli had an Annas Mirabilis last year and his emerging influence has resounded from the runways of emerging designers to the Grand Maisons this season. The Valentino effect, as we call it, is one of dramatic volumes, dreamy colours and majestic romanticism. After the couture, I wanted to move away from the safe territory. I wanted a change of silhouette," he said, about his first ready-to-wear collection of the new year. Still sculptural in the tradition of haute couture, his new daywear was characterized by a slight devolumization of coat shapes, amplified long lines, and intensified mini dresses. Then he let Juan Takashi of Undercover, who collaborated on his motives for last week's Valentino's men's collection. Plaster coats and dresses in prints, featuring photographs of neoclassical statues of lovers, Picholi adorned them with rose embroideries and sprinkled beads and sequins on top. But it was when he stripped his exquisitely draped dresses and fluid tearing of all the motifs and embellishment, and dared to let them breathe in all their purified, ravishing and painted glory, that Picholi's collection was at its strongest. Because the truth is that this couturier's charismatic talent and feeling for quotes are so strong he doesn't need designer collaborations, prints or poetic slogans to evoke the universe that he's created here at Valentino. He really is a poet in his own right. Speaking of poets, Rick Owens had been feeling the glamour too. Everyone's kind of complaining about how the world is going down the toilet. It's always been going down the toilet. We've never lived in a generation as luxurious as we do now. With all of his knowledge at our fingertips, this is the most luxurious we've ever had it. And we're still complaining. There's a sense of entitlement to that, he said. So I thought, just stop complaining. I'm just going to do the most fierce, glamorous collection I can. But kind of like a hard glamour. We all have to deal with adversity, so shut up and put on some makeup. And so he did, in a Charles James-inspired cocoon coat, reinterpreted in nutria with ravishing oxblood gowns, constructed like metal plates forged to the body. At Givenchy, Claire Wright Keller showed an aquatic collection that demonstrated her newfound exuberance at the house. The couture infiltrates all of the collections from now. There are elements of it that feel so important to the progress of Ready to Wear, she said. It was queer in voluminous nylon taffeta structures, borrowed from Couture, that made for the most compelling structures in the collection, and in her pristine racehorse tailoring, which she deserved to be exercised and clarified in a multiple-look study to really hammer home the proposal. <music> the day before the Chanel show, the Wertheimer family, which owns the house, confirmed the appointment of Carol Lagerfeld's longtime employee Virginie Viard as the Artistic Director of Fashion Collections and Eric Profunder as the Artistic Director of Fashion Image. Preceded by a minute's silence for Lagerfeld, who died on February the 19th, they presented a show that didn't just honour the unsentimental and forward-thinking nature of the legendary Couturier, but also demonstrated his spirit. This was Chanel in its chic and most qualified essence. True to Carl's tradition, every outfit was devoted to the season's theme. Snowy peaks, alpine skiing, and the glamour of shalley life. But within those frames, it exercised some of the most desirable elements of Chanel's genetics. The opening looks drew on the transformation of heritage fabrics and codes native to the Englishman's wardrobe, in the handsome dandy-esque coats and interpretations of the emblematic tweed jacket Coco Chanel came up with on a visit to Salzburg, not far from the Chares of Tyrol. What became evident in the Grand Palais on that Tuesday morning was that Carol Lagerfeld, like few legends before him, was so much a personality that his creative presence will be felt in death as it was in life. As he joked himself, he wasn't entirely of this planet. Rather, he was a force of supernature bestowed on us to reflect the world through eyes that often seemed omniscient and otherworldly. The Alpine theme of his final Chanel show was as astute and magically predictive as so many of his past stagings have been. Where Waggerfeld would use his themes to make playful and occasionally underhand observations about society in the past, his Wintry Swan song seemed to reflect his definitive chapter of his life and 65-year-long career in fashion. Michel Gobert played David Bowie's Heroes, the song his friend liked so much, to a standing ovation marked finale. After the show Gobert posted on his Instagram feed, the picture featured, on every seat of Caro's drawing, of himself next to Coco Chanel, with the words, the beat goes on, hovering over them. That's the way you always wanted it, Caro, he wrote, and I'll love you forever. This was a notion which we also felt concurrently running through the shows of Milan. Moving southerly and onto more continental climes, let's look at Milan and Paris Fashion Week and what they meant for the industry. Well, the collections at both Milan and Paris have obviously been a very emotional two weeks because they've been overshadowed by the fashion world losing its greatest master in the person of Karl Lagerfeld. I mean, obviously Karl had worked on both the Fendi collection and the Chanel collection. I think that the Fendi show, everything was very raw. It was almost impossible to look at the clothes, but they were youthful and they were wonderful accessories. I think it was just too close timing, but I think since we had some time to reflect, by the time we reached today, which is the closing day of Paris, and we saw Chanel, I think that everyone very much wanted to honour Caro and his great sense of design, and how he always so brilliantly reinterpreted the code of Chanel. Because whatever collection it might be, it was still a Chanel jacket, a Chanel handbag, a Chanel tweed, and a Chanel check all of which we saw this morning, set against a backdrop of the Tyrolean, I think it was the Tyrolean Ski Village, and we were literally walking through the snow, as we were walking through the sand last season. There were many strong directions that we took away from the collections. One of course was a sort of rather brooding sense of romance. A lot of designers such as Valentino, McQueen, Dolce & Gabbana and Prada really did look at a sort of fractured rose. It was a gothic romantic idea of love maybe being destroyed or having been missed or hopefully love to come. It was definitely something a little melancholic and romantic about it, but it was also very grown up. Another idea that we kept coming back to as we were watching all the collections was that things seemed to be much more adult and sometimes much more nostalgic I would particularly say Céline, where Hedy Slimane went back to an idea of a very French movie star with beautiful simple coats, outerwear, sweaters and knits. I felt that people of clothes being much more discreet, which we also saw Hermes, and was very in tune with how people are feeling right now. What we're not seeing is a lot of exposed skin or midriffs or cutouts. Everything is much more like the sleeves are long and the necks are high. There is a real sense of that it's more about the women and less about the clothes. Let's take a look at designer Rick Owens, who's known for his very conceptual shows. Here you would see that he pulled back and did something that was much more adult and romantic and grown up. I'd also like to mention how we did see a huge amount of checks and menswear, tailoring and suits whether it be trousers or skirts, the menswear idea was again the season prevalent. I thought at Givenchy it was a great success of a show, of check and weather, with a real emphasis again on the shoulders, but not in an aggressive power suit way, just in the strong way that it was seen at a show, like Balenciaga, where the girls came out practically running down the runways with their collars up. Their heads were down, and the shoulders were definitely moving forward. Like a footballer on the field. Anthony Bacciarello at St. Laurent completely respects and understands the heritage of St. Laurent, and I think that he too believes in a strong woman striding into the next century. Obviously, there were great menswear trends, such as tweets at Versace, and also there was a sense of eclecticism in the fabrications and Versace being Versace Glamour. I actually feel that so many of the female designers were outstanding. Vera Wine was terrific back in New York, but I feel that Maria Grazia was as well. Here we are now looking at Miu Miu and looking forward to see what the future will unveil here. You can feel that this is a time where designers are thinking very deeply about what fashion means and what image they're trying to project. They're not following the momentary ideas of passing trends, they're really thinking about deeply where the world is, where the women are, and what the houses should reflect as a philosophy to move forward. I look at what John Galliano is doing at the Margiela show and how he's reflecting a gender-fluid world that we all believe in. Then there's Stella, who I think obviously must be feeling so proud and in a way vindicated right now because of the climate control report that was published last year. This is an issue that Stella McCartney has championed for the last 10, 15, 20 years and now the world is finally paying attention. Now looking at a younger generation of designers, obviously, they're very concerned about sustainability. A lot of them are working with existing fabrics and working in upcycling. You know there was a sense of eclecticism in fabrics we could see this at Gucci, Etro and there was some degree of patchwork at Marni, with one fabric on one side and another fabric on another. Daniel Lee at Bottega is someone we feel will absolutely grow into the heritage of that great house as he has a very distinctive point of view. So we feel that he will become someone that can help to define the new direction of fashion in the way that Jonathan Anderson and the others are. I think that what we were maybe most drawn to as a generation was defining what was youth. I felt that the collections throughout Europe, especially in Paris, were very much with that in mind and the clothes in no way seemed disposable or of a moment. They seemed to have importance this season. The set at Louis Vuitton was extraordinary and I think that Nicholas was so fascinated by the particular museum and when it opened that it was very much about being together and I just feel that this was the wave that we are seeing here in Europe. I felt that there are many designers both in Paris and Milan who were doing what they do, following the codes of their house brilliantly and beautifully. But then there were also a handful of designers who were actually saying, it's 2020 and this is what's going to be happening in the future and that's why I think we were most intrigued by this season. I hope that you can join us for the next show where I will be looking at the most recent exhibition of the infamous Mad Hatter himself, Stephen Jones. This sees him swap his Dior atelier at Avenue Montagne for the baroque boulevards of Brighton Pavilion. It is here that he hosts his namesake exhibition, which acts as a retrospective of the last 30 years of his professional life. Stephen Jones' Hats features over 180 offerings, from his wife, beginning at London Central Saint Martins, right up to his current tenure at Christian Dior. Apart from this, what else you can expect to see on the streets of Europe, with Paris as always acting as the protagonist for the new fashion season? With more details and features to follow, you can catch up with all the news, views and reviews on forcemagazine.com and FORC Magazine on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Until the next time, keep your fashion mode on.